Welcome to the Radio Mundial podcast, hosted by two entrepreneurs from East Los Angeles. I'm Ray Ricky Rivera, a musician turned artist manager. The other guy is Julio Trejo, founder of the Gypsy Brewing Company, Cerveceria Mundial. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Tell all your friends about us and enjoy. Let's go. And I said, I don't care if I live under a bridge. I want to be happy. If I can live over on the, under a bridge and be happy and prove my point, I'll do that. I never did this for money. I won't do anything for money. Like, I'll, I'm okay living under the bridge. Radio Mundial. Radio Mundial. He's one half of Reina Tropical. A DJ, producer, influencer. Exactly. He's wearing a dope know. leather jacket. Yeah, I got a leather jacket. Fashion <laughs> yeah. guy, uh, hair guy, the whole deal, man. Sumo, what's up, brother? Yo, man, thank you for having me. Sorry I got caught up in traffic, man. Before we get into this interview, we need you to clarify your name. So on all the social media handles, yep. it's Sumo Hair. Right. I read an interview, they addressed you as Sumo. Break it down for us. What is what what is your name? What is your alias? Your even your your actual name. Let's, yeah. Let let us know what's up. So my full name, my birth name is Nectali Diaz. And um Sumo Hair started with the whole hair thing because by trade I'm a hairdresser. Yeah. Um but seven years ago when I started to make music, I decided to not start a new account and just keep sumo hair. And so I made that transition from hair to music, mainly because I felt like at that point I had been doing hair for a while. And uh, it was going to be, uh, I feel like it, it was going to be a little bit more tougher for me to start all over again with music. So I just felt like, well, keep the name. Um, and that name just stuck with me. But Sumo Hair comes from hair. It has hair in it. Um, when I was trying to brand myself off as a hairdresser, that's what I used. And making that transition, I just kept the name. So that's where Sumo Hair comes from. You were trying to brand yourself as a hairdresser. Did you work at a salon? Yes. Or did you have aspirations of opening up your own spot? Well, I should take that back. I, it's not that I was trying to brand myself as a hairdresser. I did brand myself right, as a hairdresser. Right. Dude, yeah, you, you went to a few academies, right? And then did, yeah. really did the whole thing. Well, I was doing education for a couple companies, actually. And then I decided to kind of like do my own creative stuff with hair. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did brand myself as, as sumo hair. And I was doing education for a couple companies. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Education for a couple companies? I was teaching for companies like uh, Paul Mitchell and Tony and Guy. I was teaching how to cut hair. Awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's where Sumo Hair came from. And um, man, it got to a point to where I was like, I really want to learn how to produce music. And I had seen that a lot of people were um, talking, saying really good things about Ableton. So I uh, downloaded a, a bootleg version of Ableton, taught myself how to use it. I had played in punk ska bands in the, in, like when I was in high school. So I, I knew how to do the most basic chords on keys, guitar, bass, and all that stuff. But I hadn't touched uh, any instruments in like 10 years. And uh, when I taught myself how to, how to use Ableton, it wasn't hard for me to pick up the guitar again and the bass and the keys and plug yeah. them up and just learn how to like record my own self. And it's been seven years since I started making music. And uh, it's been a ride, man. It's been, there's been a lot of ups and downs. Is that it for the hair stuff or do you still do? I kept a lot of my clients that I still do now. Do you uh, do like private? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I kept a lot of my clients and uh, I still do them now, but they kind of have to work with me with my music schedule, which is perfect because uh, right now, like I'm, I'm kind of balancing that schedule and the whole music stuff. And that keeps me busy. Yeah, because that's kind of that's how I first uh, knew about you. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends. OK. And uh, I believe you used to cut Javier Cabral's hair. I still do. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple other guys and stuff. And um, I actually started hearing about you from him. Um, dude, we're talking like 
three years ago or something. Okay. Dude, we were in Denver, just kind of just bullshitting, hanging out with our with our wives. And um, he's like, "Hey, do you got to check this thing out, man?" Uh, I'm like, oh, "Okay," because dude, he knows I'm a hater. You know what I mean? I hate everything. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's a lot of bullshit. Here, you know what I mean? I'll, <laughs> I'll keep that's it, dope. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep it 100 real. Dude, you're so just jaded. You're not a hater. Yeah. You're jaded. Dude, I'm, I'm old, dude. I've been yeah. hearing, you know. Okay, you're old. Yeah, yeah I'm old, dude. You know <laughs> what I mean? and, and when you're old, man, you just been been like around a lot of stuff. And I mean, I right. don't I don't disparage anybody. Do I encourage everybody to be creative? But to say something that I actually enjoy. Is something you know? It's personal, right? It's all subjective and everything. He's like, "Dude, you got to listen to this stuff." So he like pops it in, right? A lot of it was instrumentals. I was like, "Oh shit, this is this is interesting," you know. And I asked him, I go, "So um, who are these guys signed with?" And he's like, "No, dude, he's not. They're not even signed." I'm like, "What do you mean they're not signed? They're not even guys, technically." Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah. not the whole right. group. Yeah, not literally, not literally guys. But I was like, "Dude, well, tell me a little bit more about this guy." You know what I mean? He's like, "Well, you know, he's a hairstylist and this and that. He's getting, he's uh, he linked up with this uh, uh, with Fabi um, from She Shreds. That's how I knew her." And um, dude, they're putting this stuff out, and I'm like, "Wow, this is because it, it sounded so like put together." That I was like, these guys have to be signed. I mean, this sounds really, really professional. And he's like, no, dude, they're do- just kind of out there doing their thing. And I'm like, wow, this is really good. And then from then on, I just started like just following on Spotify and all that other stuff. And um, I know uh, the Matralleta de Oro guys, uh, Diego, I love Diego. Um, no. um, well, I don't know him too much, but I know Fabi and okay, Madre and all that stuff. But um, I was like, man, this is this is something this is something special, man. And if you guys are not familiar with it, which dude, you should um, check it out. Um, but Dude, I was just enamored by the stuff that you do, man. Oh, man, thanks. Yeah, dude. Yeah, seven years, man. Actually, I started, uh, one of the reasons, too, why I pushed myself to make music was because we started this party called Dinamita, and uh, we had this platform to just play whatever we wanted to play, and and it was a cumbia theme party, Yeah. and I started to make, like, mashups and edits on Ableton as a, you know, as a beginner, that's probably, like, the fastest or quickest thing to do is do mashups and edits, and... um, that kept me going because this party has been running for now like good seven years every third Friday. And uh, once a month, I would I would work on making edits and, and mashups and just to play them at the party. That's when I started making music. Yeah, It happened right at that time. And, um, and then after that, I made the move to start recording my own instruments and then start producing like music. Did you already have like a vision of what like Reina Tropical or your sound was going to sound like? Or were you, you just kind of just like just gathering your influences and really pounding them out? I think cumbia was the, the quickest and the easiest thing for me to start messing with just be, just by nature. Growing okay. up in L.A., okay. that party was cumbia theme. Um, it, it was it was a quick uh, resource for me to just like just jump into it. Yeah. But I knew that um, for me it was more than that. It was more into just exploring world music as a whole. Yeah. And around that time... Uh, we're from Guerrero. We're from Guerrero, Mexico. Around that time, I was also looking in, in understanding and exploring the diaspora in Mexico, yeah. African diaspora in Mexico. Yeah. And I started to learn about Afro-Mexico and the roots of just everything as a whole, music and food and everything. Yeah. And then I started to trace like the diaspora going back to Africa. And I, and I started to learn more about Angola and uh, the Congo. And I got really deep into like the African diaspora music in Latin America. And then at one point, it, it, I kind of like left cumbia and started getting into more other genres like champeta from Colombia or yeah. bullerengue and like uh, kuduro from Angola. And then I, I, it just blew me away. I was like, damn, this is, this is massive. This is huge. It's crazy because like cumbia in L.A., it's been here for a long yeah, time. For sure. And I feel like there's waves of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have bands like Very Be Careful who's been doing it since like the mid-90s. Yeah. And they're right. still around. Then you have like Reina Tropical who's fusing the electronica with kind of the old school stuff. Yeah. But like 
like you mentioned, chompeta and yeah. all those other uh, subgenres. You don't hear a lot of that stuff, even no. though like cumbia is so popular in LA and like you, you kind of go down a rabbit hole. Same, same with me. Like you could start at cumbia and then you end up in all these other, if, if you do the work and start digging. Right. Yeah. But like, there's still so much more to go, yeah. so much more space to, to play and have those styles represented in the LA scene. I went to a couple of Dinamita shows back when I was a little younger. And, and, I would, and I would actually go out. <laughs> uh, Lincoln Heights, right? It Lincoln was, Heights, Lincoln right. Heights, yeah. I caught a couple. Oh, of, you were at the airliner? Is that uh, the office. Oh, okay. Yo, I had yeah. my 21st birthday there. Oh, dope. Back in the day. That's a dope place. Dude, dude, I walk in. The music was like bumping, kind of like you hear it at a, at a paisa party or just like my neighbor's party. You know yep. what I mean? I saw these younger people getting into it like with new eyes. And I'm like, dude, this is dope. And then he started like mixing stuff and then adding sounds to it and everything. And then just like really bringing in the the old school DJ mixing and mixing different records together that I never heard with this kind of music. You know what I mean? And that's when I was like, wow, this is these, I think these guys are onto something. So man, I, I think that um, you guys by doing that are really kind of just bringing this old sound mm -hmm. to new people. And did you really see that as a challenge to, to, in the beginning? Yeah, for sure. Cause it wasn't even just cumbia, it was sonidero, which okay. was even more like, it's Mexico City based yeah. where like, you know, they're chanting over most of the songs. You're hearing people talk over the song most of the time. Yeah. So we were playing a lot of Sonidero, which we thought it would be kind of weird in a way because yeah. it wasn't just cumbia. It was like sound systems like on blast with people like just talking over it. Yeah. You know, we didn't care. We really set up that party just because we wanted to do a hangout for the friends and yeah. with no intention to make that like the biggest party in LA or anything like that. We didn't care about that. We were just trying to hang out. And today, till today, we're, that's still, still not our goal. We're just trying to hang out. Um, sometimes it's happening. Sometimes it's dead. We're still doing it. People kind of digging it and kind of catching on. When was, when did that happen? Well, fast forward seven years after the party started, there's a cumbia party in LA everywhere. I think that yeah. uh, I think everybody's playing cumbia and it's become a cool thing. And I think it's dope. You know, you can either go, you can either be that that hater that's going to say, well, cumbia has always been around. You know, now you guys are making it cool. Now, now it's hip and you guys are just like hipsters playing cumbia. <laughs> you can see it however you want to see it, but it's yeah. young kids like actually acknowledging the music from their parents and playing it which i think it's cool yeah or you can you know hate on the kids who are playing it now and just you know you can see it both ways but i think it's pretty dope that now like a lot of people are throwing cumbia parties yeah. it's dope i think um there's a need to evolve also and not yeah. just stay in that area you know like yeah. Yeah, i went to um a friend's party and it was african music interesting and i was in east l.a there at an african party and my other friend was djing at a cumbia party like 10 minutes away what was so fascinating to me is that I was in East LA in an African party and then I took an Uber 10 minutes away from there and I was in an all, you know, Mexican-American cumbia party. Yeah. And I just thought it was kind of interesting to me how we're in East LA, but we're so segregated in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah like, yeah. why are we not DJing together? Why are we not joining together? Like, one, one bigger party. One bigger party. Like, LA is one of the most diverse cities in the world, but it's also one of the most segregated Definitely. Cities in the world. And that's the part that gets me a lot because I think that there, there's a need for unification when it comes to like, well, you know, if you go to East LA, you're going to deal with that. And if you go to like Koreatown or if you go to Inglewood, if you go South Central, like we're still very segregated, musically speaking. Yeah. And also geographically, because it's a pain in the ass to get around town, bro. Yeah, you know what I mean? True. Like, but also um, I think that people are starting to realize how dope the East Side is. You know what I mean? Because before people thought it was dangerous. Oh, I don't belong, and I don't know, and this and that. But I think that people are kind of gravitating, gravitating towards it and rediscovering it mm -hmm. and bringing other people into the mix. And I think that kind of started off with East Side Love. That was like the first thing yeah. that I saw. Because like the first thing that I saw that was modern, that was cracking, I'm like, oh, shit, this is something 
a little different. And to see that evolution, I think it's dope because I see it not only in music, I see it in food and appreciation mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. music and food and the overall Latino vibe. Because growing up, in, dude, growing up as a Latino, growing up in Chicano in the 70s, 80s, it was tough, bro. Mm -hmm. It's not like the way it is now. It's not as right. fashionable, you know what I mean? Right. Or it's not as accepted because I think this is like a golden age, a golden era of being Latino. And um, But like, when did you really start seeing that appreciation for this kind of stuff? I think I see it a lot more now. Really? Um, and I, I would like to see it even more. I mean, I would like for, for this this dope energy in the east side to make its way to the west side. Yeah, It would be dope to have these kind of parties in Venice Beach or Santa yeah. Monica or yeah. Koreatown. Is, we're still yet to make it over there, but I think we're like so deep rooted into East LA, which is dope and magical. But yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a lot more. It's really dope to see like just the community grow, you know, as a whole and everybody yeah. just come together. I think we still have, there's still a lot of work to do. There used to be a super cool party on the West side called Afro Funky. Oh, I oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Afro Jeremy Funky. Soul yeah. and all them yeah. and um, Zanzibar is old. Yeah. <laughs> Zanzibar, yeah. <laughs> Temple I, 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 I used to go. It's still around though, Afro Funky. I think they, yeah, they not there though. But it's not like uh, they do it like once in a while, right? Right, right, right. Like anniversary parties and mm -hmm. things like that. Okay. So let's let, let's talk about uh, your group. I think it's interesting how you guys hooked up and how you formed. Yeah. You want to um, talk about that? The, yeah. The whole Red Bull thing. Yeah. So um uh let's see three years after I think it was three years after me starting to make music um and Red Bull Music Academy does not exist I, I think it came to an end last October. Um, they used to do this thing where they would pick like what they thought were um, 20 up and coming artists that they thought would just be a good mix and yeah. put them in a studio and have them record music. They got me from L.A. and uh, two other people from L.A. and they got Fabi from Portland mm -hmm. and um, Fabi being a dope guitarist. She wasn't singing at that time and uh, I was producing and uh, they picked us. We went to um, Nashville for Bonnaroo, the big festival, and yeah. we stayed there for five days. They, they just basically... Um, had us get in the studio there and me and Fabi met the first night and we started talking and one of the first conversations was how we liked Bomba Stereo a lot and she was like well we should get in the studio and try to record something I don't know along that that taste of music and I was like oh, let's do it so we got in the studio the same night and we recorded until 5 a.m we were just coming up with different concepts and ideas and then we just kept talking for the next four or five days and we decided we recorded one track and we decided that we would keep in touch when we would we would get back home and uh, she would come visit LA every, I think every couple of months. And uh, we would record each track in a session of about three to four hours. And I would open up the Ableton uh, program, arrange some drums, um, some sound effects and uh, whatnot. And then she would start to lay out the bass line, the guitars. And I remember even back then at Red Bull Music, uh, I remember telling her, hey, we need some vocals. Like, would you be down to record? Like, can, can you sing? And she was like, well, I've sang before, but I'm not like really that. I don't want to sing. And she's like, but if I keep drinking, if I have a couple more <laughs> beers, like I'll, I'll get on the mic and record some vocals. And she yeah. did. And so by the time we left Red Bull and she came back to visit to L.A., I was like, hey, we need some more vocals. Would you be down to record? She, would, she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it again. So we recorded four times after that. And uh, we decided to just upload those demos onto yeah. Spotify for us because we, we were fans of what we were making. That's cool. And then a couple months later, um, we sh we get message uh, from Bomba Stereo. And she actually, they started following us on our Instagram because we had just created one. And then they messaged her directly saying like, hey, um, would you guys be interested in, we really like your sound. Would you guys be interested in coming on tour with us? Yeah. But they didn't know we had never played live. 
That's dude, that's crazy. We had never played live. It yeah. sounded like we we had played live. We never played live. Um so Toget- together. Together. Yeah, together, right. Um so immediately we said yes and then we figured out. We say yes, but they never confirmed with us until like uh, a week and a half before they went on tour. <laughs> we also didn't know it was a sold out tour. We didn't find out until later. Yeah. Um, so we, I flew it 48 hours into Portland before we played in Seattle, and we figured out how to play live by arranging all the live um, instruments for me to trigger them live and for <laughs> her to play the guitar on it and sing. Yeah. She had never sung in front of people in years, because I think she mentioned she had sang before when she was a kid. But um, it our first show it was sold out and like we we opened yeah. up for Bomba Stadio and and it was we were so nervous I mean we you know we didn't know what to expect and we went from not even ever getting a chance to practice in front of people or playing at a house party or playing at a small little bar and we went straight yeah. to like sold a sold out, out stage and it, it, it yeah, was, that's the best practice I mean we right were, into the fire right into the fire we were so nervous and we just kept doing the whole tour after that obviously we got better by the time we got to L A and we kept playing in like in New York. And then after that, we were like, hey, like, let's not get, let this get to our head. Like, after this, that, that's it. Like, we're, you know, you know, we'll, we'll record whenever we feel like it, and that's it. But after that, we kept getting emailed and more emailed. And uh, we've, been, we've been traveling since, like, ever since, and yeah. we've been playing shows. Um, still don't have a manager, record label, or PR person, booking agent. We're just answering emails as they come. And People are just emailing us, and and we've always said whenever those emails stop coming, that's when we'll just stop playing. Just because yeah. that was never our intention to play in front of people, it was more for us. And it's been a it's been a crazy ride, man. Um, I'm enjoying it as it goes, but I'm also we're also busy with our own things. You know, she's she has her magazine, she plays in another band. I I've been producing other people, so we've been doing our own thing. Just yeah. you know, what does that feel like to all, all of a sudden go into like this arena? In front of all these people, I mean, were you just like, just amazed by the whole thing? Yeah, we we never got tired of seeing them live. You know, we we after every time we played, we would go and like be like front row just watching them play. We never got tired. That's how amazing they are. Like the the yeah. energy level that they have, it's 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 amazing. Um, and one one thing that I should add too, what, what, that I find very interesting about this this project with Reina Tropical is that she comes from the indie world, mm-hmm. and she had never collaborated with anybody like with the stuff that i do and i thought that was a very interesting mix how you can get somebody from the indie world who has no experience with electronic music yeah. and me having no experience with being an indie band sitting down and grabbing our a lot of our inspiration from the diaspora from champeta yeah a lot of the inspiration that you hear in reino tropical is comes from champeta which is based in colombia and we're you know we're mexican we're not even colombians yeah. and um and and then she comes from the indie world, I come from the electronic world, and then we're we're getting these three things and just mashing them together, and it created yeah. something very interesting. And she, you know, Fabio would ask me like, "Hey, why, why do you think people people like this project?" And I I kind of knew why, and it was because of her bringing her world into my world and us just mashing it together. Yeah, and it sounded pretty interesting, you know, to me, and I became a big fan of of what we were doing. Um, but yeah, I always thought that was pretty interesting. The way I, I heard you guys. Is I know you guys. You guys were doing something with Subsuelo. Shout out mm-hmm. to uh, Canyon Cody yeah, and the Subsuelo crew. Yep. And and then I I heard that you got tapped to open up those shows with with Bomba Stadium. And I was like, what? The, like that's crazy because I'm yeah. I'm a huge fan of, of Bomba too. Don't don't. Like, um, that whole sound. Yeah, it's just, they're just really good. Oh. And then I I wanted to book you for that beer fest that. I was doing. I was like, oh, I got to book them. They're, yeah. And because I was like. They're new. They're they're doing something really really interesting. I want to be a part of it somehow. And yeah. then 
And the best way to do that is book them with a show. Right. For whatever reason, we, we couldn't make it happen. Yeah. So maybe in the future, we, yeah, can, we, can, sure. we can make that happen. But I was going to say, what, what I found really interesting about what you guys were doing, it's got these elements of like tropical music. It's like a vibe. It's not any one particular thing, right? Like, for example, when you hear like um, salsa music or whatever, like yeah. there's very distinct rhythms that you can point out. Oh, that's salsa music. Yeah. Salsa is tropical music, right? Or, or like a cumbia, vallenato, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. You have this vibe that feels very tropical, but it's not one thing. Like there's not one yeah. thing, you know what I mean, that makes it tropical it's like a, a whole mix of things and then that whole electronica element yeah. it's like familiar but it's new and i think that's what draws you in um because um it's also minimalist almost because it's not overdone it's not overly ornate man like it's just maybe like a few like maybe what four or five tracks maybe and that's kind of it right uh, and yeah. then the vocals on top of that but you, sh you show a lot of restraint you know what i mean um uh, my question is dude are you self-taught yeah you are yeah yeah I always wanted to go to music school though, but I, every time I, I I made an attempt, I always saw how expensive it was and to work and go to school and pay for your own school. It, it was just really expensive. But. Yeah, well, I think you're better off though because a lot of people that I know that went to school, they're, they're like more classically trained and stuff and you're more in a box. And I think that when you're when you don't know better, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you purposely like, yeah, don't care about making mistakes. So when did you feel that vibe with Fabi? Like just was it an immediate? Oh, it was instantly. Instantly, it right? was instantly. Like when we first got into the studio, it just it just happened, and it was. She's such a great guitarist. She's like one of the best guitarists I've ever seen. Yeah. And um and I, I'm not gonna say that I'm like the best producer at all, but I'm very passionate about what I do, and yeah. I'm very have a strong conviction to if I start something, I'm gonna finish it. Yeah. Whatever. Like to this day, I've put out everything that I've made. I don't. There's nothing in my hard drive. Yeah. And I have that strong conviction to just finish. And I think us being together, like we we just we record it, I mixed it, I arranged, mixed and mastered, and then just put it out. Yeah. And that's it was just instant. You mentioned not having a manager or a publicist mm -hmm. or whatever. Is that something you guys do not want to pursue or or you're just waiting for the right opportunity? We never wanted to go in that direction just because uh we she's like me and 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 I'm like her, like we just do whatever we want whenever we feel yeah. like it. And yeah, we yeah. don't want anybody telling us, Do you need to do that? We don't we're so stubborn yeah, and we're so self-taught. She also didn't go to music school like that, like to learn classically how to play the guitar. Yeah, And I think what that does to you is like, when you get to a certain point, you're like, well, I already got this far. Like, why do I need anybody to tell me how to do things? And I think yeah. it's just like the stubbornness has helped us kind of like pave way in a different way and not do things the right way, Yeah, which has helped us do some really cool stuff. And like, I think now it's getting to a point to where, we'll probably end up getting somebody to help us out um, schedule our shows and stuff like that yeah. because it's getting to the point to where like I'm, we're both answering a lot of emails, signing a lot of contracts and like going back and forth with people about like just a lot of stuff. And it's getting to a point where we're going to need some help. Not because we, 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 we ever wanted a manager or anything like that, but it's just, it's getting to a point where it's getting too hard to handle this ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's usually the point when you need a manager is right. you can't handle it yourself. It's just so much, right. you know, you got to focus on, Performing, writing, producing. Yeah. And then you got to do all the answering emails and all that. That's just like crazy. Yeah. But we're pushing. Like we're really pushing to yeah. do all of it ourselves just because we we don't like compromising or like we're very set on how we like to do things. And um, they're like, we're not giving up that 15, 20 percent to yeah, anybody. You know what? It's not even it's not even it's not even that because we're definitely willing to do that. It's just like we we don't. We're so self-efficient and Fabi is so self-efficient. I mean, she's, yeah. she that girl started her magazine and, and like it just from. She, I mean, she pretty much launched that magazine into like what today has 
has changed the 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 guitar world for yeah. for you know female um, guitarists, which and she's based Portland all the time. That's where she lives. Yeah, and that's another interesting thing about Reina Tropical is we never practice, and yeah. and we never we don't we only see each other when we're about to play, and our only practice is um, yeah. sound check, and so it makes it it makes it really difficult for us to come up with like a bigger show yeah. because of that. And uh, she loves Portland. I love LA. Um, but you know, when people reach out to book us, a lot of times they don't realize that, that she lives in Portland and I live in LA, which means yeah. that they have to fly her out. And you know, take, that, which was the case when I reached out to you, was he was like, say. I was like, yo, got this show. It's going to be big yeah. thousand people. And I'm like, he's going to say, yeah, they're a new band. And he's like, well, we got to fly her in. And I'm like, I read it and I was like, bullshit he's bullshitting me yeah. he's just trying to get as much money as oh as, no, you know? yeah, no. <laughs> but no, it's true she's it's in very Portland, true yeah. yeah and and i feel bad because a lot of friends do like reached out to us and they want to book us and i'm like yo she doesn't live here man just fly her out and then after that then we'll we, we'll take up on the performance fee but um but it's hard but also the fact that she plays in another band and she runs a very successful magazine yeah like it's hard for her to you know do a show that maybe she's going to have to compromise for, you know, something yeah. else. And see, that's another, another appeal of the band that I have. Uh, the, the re another reason why I like you guys, it's reminiscent of like postal service and like, I don't know, Alton John uh, with, with, with Bernie Tobin where like, they don't, they don't hang out. They just send files to each other. Like, uh, Postal Service, they have their own bands and they, they would just send files and vocals and everything and they would just put them together like that. And then Elton John with his partner, I think uh, his partner would just uh, uh, write the music and uh, fax it over to Elton John and fax it back. You know what I mean? That's how old school they are. And I got that vibe, you know? And I think, and also that's the way that we run our business, like uh, our, our beer company. Dude, we're a virtual uh, brewing company. Don't. Not that we want to be cool or anything, but it's just like, dude, fuck, we all have lives, man. We yeah. have, stuff, have stuff going on and we don't have time to like be in one place. This is probably like the time when we, when we see each other. Other, so. well we're running some stuff but like dude dude life goes on and, and you have other things going on and i think that keeps you creative because if you try to do too much it, it's kind of like a waste of time and you i think you're you're more resourceful true when you don't have like super access to each other right i think within a band though it's a, a give and take because I, I spent like a solid five years touring with a band and we yeah. rehearsed four or five times a week and with that kind of schedule you get like this super tight thing and you know exactly what yeah. it's going to be when you step on stage. Right. On the flip side of when you don't get to rehearse, it's new all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what's going to happen. I think that's exciting. Like It can be. You, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it could be a disaster it too, right? Be, it definitely be a disaster. <laughs> but if, if you do it right, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's fun, yeah. yeah. Because you guys are not in the same place. You almost don't have a choice. But I think that's really cool the way you go about it. Because it's like you get together and it's on the fly and it's it's instantaneous. It's yeah. right now. Let's go, bam! And then whatever happens, happens. Also, dude, it's cost effective, man. Because you know that's, that's why a lot of lot of DJs, a lot of the high world, world class DJs and stuff, they got put on is because we got to fly them. Dude, you don't you don't got to fly a whole fucking band, dude. Like like ten guys. You don't have yeah. to fly everybody. It's just a guy and his DJ and and producing equipment jumping on the plane and and going and performing. And I kind of get that kind of vibe from you guys where you just like, hey, we're ready to roll. Like, let's just go. And, you know, you pretty much you keep your your money, you keep your um, your schedule, and you guys kind of just do your own thing. You don't have to, like, rely on tons of people because I used to work with Oza Motley and those guys just getting them together was kind of tough sometimes because they got their own things going on. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you guys have going on now? We Next month, we have a European tour and we have a, a Colombia tour. Dude, wow. what, dude, where are you going in Europe? uh right now london and bristol nice yeah are these nice. solo shows or are you opening them up for somebody else they're solo shows um they're actually festival shows and like um mm -hmm. we're doing shows for um 
Yeah, I don't have much of the details, but we're they're definitely like uh, we're not we might be opening for somebody, but not that I'm familiar with. Everything that's happening right now in terms of booking is stuff that's coming in. Yeah, so we're getting emails like every like today we got two emails. We got one from France, which I hope goes through. But wow, but, yeah, but like it's just emails. Like it's crazy. The internet's crazy. Like <laughs> I I remember like yeah. like ten years ago, like some of my favorite bands. Like and I feel bad because like I feel like some of my favorite bands like would have done really well in the whole internet like i agree but unfortunately you know that you know that didn't happen but um but now it's the internet man if your music if people like your music they're gonna reach out to you yeah. like don't even worry about a manager booking none of that like they'll find you just yeah. do it huh? they just will find it you out there. Dude, yeah i think that the internet is the great the great equalizer you know what i mean it puts everybody in the in the, the same position whether you're in a, in a in a big label i mean with the resources and everything yeah yeah right. but in terms of like notoriety and like opportunity at the same time it doesn't work where like you make a song you put it online and then all this great stuff happens no you, no, you got you got to be good and i think a lot of people miss that i think the the part that a lot of people miss is that it's not just about uploading music but it's about uploading something that's different to the audience ears yeah. like anybody can make music now and that's another thing that the internet's super saturated anybody can make music yeah. you got a macbook and you're in business you're in business but not everybody can make something different and not everybody is creative enough to find something different and yeah. you can anybody can start a cumbia band but not everybody can be that cumbia band that's going to yeah. stand out from the other cumbia bands yeah and i think that's that's the part that we that don't need any was, more cumbia bands though. we don't need no more cumbia parties in la stop it stop yeah it. i know um but but and one thing too is like i see a lot of people saying like i need a manager i need a manager but i'm like you don't need a manager what you need to do is focus on your music yeah. until yeah. you actually need a manager we, we were having this conversation yeah. on this show as a huge misconception like when you need a manager you'll find a manager. Oh yeah. Like if you're sitting there saying you need a manager, telling, asking yourself, do I need a manager? You probably don't need a manager. Yeah. Things just, just, just happen. And I think that one thing that you guys are doing, dude, you guys are releasing music. Yeah. Some people they're, they're too high on themselves. Oh, I don't want to re want to release it because it might get bootlegged. It might get copied or whatever, dude. Like honestly, man, any artist that I come, I have a lot of respect for artists just putting out the stuff. Like that, I think, does that keep you creative? Does that keep, does that yeah. challenge you? I mean, one thing that, that, you know, being self-taught is I had to learn how to, and I'm not saying I'm dope at mixing and mastering, but I had to kind of teach myself because I couldn't afford to pay somebody to mix and master for me. So I yeah. watched all the YouTube videos that I could. And to this day, I'm still practicing. But my thing with my, my deal with Fabio was like, if we're going to record something, we got to put it out. Yeah. And we sure did. And and they're all like, I would say they're all demos because they were all recorded in Koreatown in my place and her place in Portland. And uh, it's never, there's, there's no third party. It's just me and her yeah. uploading. And uh, that hasn't, you know, that has helped us to kind of constantly be putting out music. Yeah. And uh, I'm not a fan of music that sounds too perfect. I like, I'm a big fan of third world music, which yeah. means like music that was recorded in small little shacks. I'm a big fan of that kind of music. Yeah. And so why would I want to try to make first world music? I mean, music that sounds like the first world. If super I'm a fan produced, of, super polished, super, super polished clean, right? Yeah. I want to catch that grime. And if you listen to some Reina Tropical tracks, we left a lot of mistakes in there. Yeah. We left a lot of her talking and, and I just said, just leave it in there. Like that's the beauty of it. I want yeah. people to feel like they were there when we recorded it. Yeah, and, and what's cool is like, that's what people are going to get when they see you live. Because mm -hmm. I've seen so many bands, like, right? You, you, you hear the record, it's so overproduced, so polished, so tight. Everything's auto-tuned. Everything's quantized. It's like right. perfect, you know? And then you see them live and they suck. 
yep. singers out of tune, the the drummers dragging, you know, and it's like this yep. is not what's on record. You're disappointed by yeah, the time yeah, you see it's them like live. False advertising. Yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me of like these old um, jazz CDs that I used to have. They used to call the Jazz Masters. You should get them like, like, like they're like uh, um, compilations and stuff. You can you get them on the clearance section, yeah. and they were they were recorded in like restaurants and stuff, and you can hear like the silverware. You can hear the people like clanking and so, people talking and everything. Yeah. Dude, I, I, used to, I used to really get into that. I used to want to even hear the conversations that were going on yeah. because it captures a moment in time and I kind of see that with your music. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Mano Chao and, and Mano Chao, he's, yeah. he's a perfect, oh. he's like my biggest teacher, professor. So of, awesome live. you seen him live? I've, I've seen him live a couple of times and uh, his albums are just layers and yeah. layers and layers and you can learn a lot from that, yeah. from his albums. Um and 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 I like I'll, I'll study his albums because I want to know how he, he layered everything and like you can kind of see a little bit of that influence in in Reina Tropical, um, yeah. You know, you see snippets of like it's just a collage and he, he takes you on a trip. Yeah. And and it's weird, man. Like sometimes I'll listen to it. I'll, I'll be listening to it. I'm like, why did he do that? Like that's so weird. He put trumpets where trumpets shouldn't be put. Like it's just, yeah. It's crazy, man. Like and one thing that he Fivo always said is like if he because it. His albums came out during the time of Napster. Yes. And pe somebody asked him, how do you feel about Napster and people taking your music and bootlegging your music? And he said, you know what? I think that's actually kind of flattering, the fact that people want to bootleg my music and steal my music. I go, I'm actually pretty happy with that because I think everybody deserves to have my music. You shouldn't have to pay to have my music. Dude, they, they value it so much that they want a jacket? Yeah. Dude, that's, that, 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 that I, is a flattering thing. I, I like, like, you were asking, like, yeah, like when people say, like, oh, I don't want nobody to steal my beat. Who cares, man? Let them steal your beat. You should be flattered that they want to steal your beat. If nobody wants to steal your beat, like... You should probably be bummed that means out. Nobody's about, listening nobody to it. cares yeah. about your damn beat. But if somebody yeah. takes my beat, which they have in the past, somebody once took something that I made and renamed it and put it on SoundCloud at night, and I told them like, "Yo, that's mine," and and I was kind of flattered by it. But like, yeah, I mean, it. it you know, if anything, it's kind of like democracy. Like, yeah, I agree. music should be free. Yeah. Um, but you know, also musicians need to make a living too. So yeah, um, that's true. You know, at one point there is kind of like somewhat of a balance. But but your true fans will pay to buy something from you, whether it's a bag or it's a pin or it's see yeah. you live, they will pay for it. But one thing that you're onto something is that you guys are creating a, um, a performance act that people can go and see because mm -hmm. dude, that's, that's, the, that's the future of music, dude. Because if you don't have a good stage show, if you don't have that kind of presence and stuff, dude, like selling records, bro, who's selling fucking records, yeah. dude? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's uh, people buying your merch, people going to your shows, supporting like <clears throat> that, just like rabid fans that are really into your stuff that these are these guys are going to help you weather the storm whether you're ups and you're downs you know what yeah. i mean and i've seen that especially with these older bands that still have like these rabid fans you know what i mean yeah. but um but what's the toughest thing to satisfy those fans because now they're like okay we, i have my, we have our finger on you dude you're uh, tropical with a little bit of african dysphoria and all this kind of thing how do you keep it fresh i mean that's a good question because we're also well at least i'm very self-conscious about that because i i feel like there's a lot, I have a lot of friends who are musicians and they play in bands. And like, I feel like when we show up, it's just two of us and, and people look at us and they're like, that's it. Like just YouTube. And there's like MIDI controllers and a laptop and a guitar and like that. Yeah. I feel like the expectations are pretty high, but by the time they see us, they're just like, I don't know. Like I'm very self-conscious about that, but like, um, I mean, we, you know, when we when we go out and play, we we try to do our best job. And I feel like at that point, if you already came out to see us, is because you really like our music. Yeah. So I guess like what what like how we just like stay like motivated about all of that is just knowing yeah. that like we're gonna give it all we can once we start playing. But 
but we're happy to know that people came out to see us because they really like the music. Yeah. And one thing I think that, um, I don't know, that I see that is a big plus in your guys' favor is that you guys have a look, an image. Is that conscious? Do you have like a, because you look at Fabi and you're like, oh shit, with the hat and the whole like. It's funny, yeah. You know what I mean? The the the, the gender bending fashion thing and then yeah. just, just you with your overall look and stuff and all that. I mean, is that a conscious thing or is that just kind of what you guys do? No, I mean like I... I always thought that I dressed like a bum. Like I always dressed like kind of like homeless looking because I normally wear like beat up shoes that have holes in them and like t-shirts that I get from the thrift store and just, I always wear beanies. Um, no, it's not like a conscious decision. I just, we just, I just dress the way I do. And she's always kind of dressed that way too. Um, she has that look, you know, and she's, yeah. I think she's said, she's answered that question because I asked her that one time about her look and she said that she always wanted to dress like her grandpa. Yeah. And and wow, that's interesting. Yeah, her grandpa wore that belt, you know, with the yeah. Does she the, actually the, the own any of her grandfather's clothes? She does. She that's does. I believe she owns her grandpa's hat. Um, but she's always said that yeah, she she kind of wanted to dress like her grandpa. So yeah. And so then like yeah, and we've taken pictures together where I I dress like this like homeless guy that looks like you know i don't know no but see your homeless look is, is really well put together because i know <laughs> i know some people that try way too hard yeah. to look homeless yeah. and looking homeless and looking looking poor is expensive you know what i mean but like yeah the, the shirt has holes in it but it's like 400 bucks right you know what i mean so what he's got is authentic this yeah. is not this it's is not no, store stuff goodwill stuff right like, this but. is not like the silver lake faux look you know what i'm saying right but the thing <laughs> is pretending is that, but the thing is you guys you guys are like different in terms of the look you know what i'm saying yeah when we take pictures and now that i think about it yeah when we take pictures like i look the way i do and then she looks like the way like she looks like like yeah like yeah, like you, you, you look new school and she looks old school right I mean? and so and we've recently she she got a, a really dope like outfit made uh from this guy who is a designer who gets like textile and then uh um he buys fabrics from from oaxaca and he actually she actually got this this really dope yellow outfit done cool um and then I always wanted to wear a jumpsuit. So I went ahead and just got a yellow jumpsuit. Yeah. And I just figured, like, yellow is my favorite color. She digs yellow. So we just went ahead and, and we're going to rock the yellow. Yeah. But uh, but this is, like, recently. But how important do you think that this, this fashion element is to band, to your band and to bands in general? You know what? I'm, I'm going to say this. And I, and it's, it, I want to say this, like, the safest way. Image does matter. I agree. Um, unfortunately, how people perceive you, they will remember that. And for anybody who thinks that it doesn't matter how you look or how you dress, it, it does matter to a certain extent. Like, yeah. um, we look at some of our favorite artists, man, they dress kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it does matter how you carry yourself and how people, like, perceive you. And there has to be something a little bit of different about you. Like, yeah. you can't just be like, you know... There has to be something. Like and you just, just roll out, roll out, a, roll out of work and stuff, and uh, you're like, I'm gonna jump on stage really quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of us like we like I was telling you, like I like I always dress kind of like homeless looking, but like that always came to me naturally. And I, yeah. I people have told me like, yo, that's pretty cool, but like I, I I don't make an effort. But like I I have like young friends now that like I'm helping like produce and and like I, I tell them like making music is the the easiest part, yeah, it's the fun part. The hard part is like everything else that's next to making music, which is like packaging yourself and making your sound different and like marketing yourself, marketing yourself, having the image. Yeah. And honestly, networking is a huge part of it. And like, 
a lot of people don't understand how crucial it is to go out and yeah. and meet up with people and like know people in your community. Like I go out like three to four times a week, yeah. not because I want to go out and get drunk, but because I want to connect with people in my community. Dude, that, that's that's your golf course. You know how they say the deals get made yeah. in the golf course. Dude, deals get made at bars and 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 at, at spots. I know producers who like who need vocalists and who need musicians to collaborate with. Yeah. You know, I don't need any because like I've been going out so much and connecting with my own community, man, in LA, in our community, there's so many vocalists and so many dope musicians that like there's, there's enough. Oh yeah. So if you're, if you don't have anybody to collaborate with on anything, you're, it's not, you're not you're talking not, to anybody. You're not talking to yeah, anybody. Yeah, and a network. that's the hard part. And I think that a lot of people like start making music thinking that music is going to be the, no, that's the easy part. The hard part is, everything else that comes after that is how to, how do you connect with your community and how do you uh, how do you project yourself and market yourself for your music to be heard is there anybody that you're collaborating with right now that, that you're really excited about any projects yes quita penas quita penas oh, man i'm so I, you know like i, I love those, those guys. guys i love those guys we go and way back i love those guys and um a couple months ago, I approached him and I said, well, we, we I've been talking to him for a while and I, and I said, hey, would you guys be interested in getting into the studio and recording with me? And we'll we'll do it in my fashion, which which is we don't rehearse. We just get in there, record, hit record. We improvise everything. And uh, are you guys into that idea? And then what, you chop it up later? Not even. I can't even chop it up anymore because dope, uh, yeah. we recorded a live session. The way the bass and the guitar was recorded, it was just it has a weird swing to it. So I can't even like line it up and chop it up anymore. So they were like, yeah, let's do it. And I go, cool, man. So we're just going to show up and I'm going to tell you what BPM I want to record. And you guys play along to that BPM and we'll hit record. So um, I got Red Bull um, to um, sponsor us with studio time and an engineer. We got in there. We had eight hours. We recorded 12 tracks and they were recorded just, 12 tracks 12, in eight hours. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Did you come already with some ideas and already like program beats or something? We just kind of just jump. They in? already know what I kind of what I like and I know what they like and I know what they do. And I was like, yo, um, if you can start playing the drums at this BPM. Yeah. And then you can play the bass. And then once I heard something I like, I was like, that sounds really dope. And uh, then, you know, it'd be like, can you start playing the guitar? And I heard something I liked. I was like, I like that. Let's keep that. And then the keys, let's let's keep that. And so I'll go back to the engineer and I would be yeah. like, yo, I think we're going to record this. So can you tell him we're going to record this? And so he would say like, yeah, so we're going to hit record. So we, we recorded. And so we went for eight hours, recorded 12 tracks. Yeah. And uh, it's all in one take. And are you doing this to a click track or just to the tempo of the drummer? Uh, to the tempo of the drummer, pretty much. So yeah. everything's all over the place. Yes. Dude, it sounds very yes. James Brownish. Yeah. So, um, so then, so then uh, the engineer, you know, like after 12 hours, I mean, eight hours, sorry, he, he bounced the stems. And then I took the hard drive home. I mean, I took the, the, uh, everything home, and then I heard it. And my idea was to be able to arrange and chop it up. But when I heard the recordings, because it was recorded live, it wasn't yeah. dubbing. It was just like everything in one shot with oh. mics all over the place, which I've never recorded like that. I always dub. I'll, I'll do the drums first and then yeah. do the bass, which for me comes naturally. But everything is just recorded in one shot with different mics. And uh, when I when I inserted that into Ableton to try to arrange, I was like, I can't, I can't chop this up. You know, this yeah. has to go with the swing of the track. So, but what I can do is add my touch to it with all the sampling and yeah. like knowing, like I don't know, I just you did a bunch of stuff on top. Yeah, 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 right. Um, that's cool. That's fun. Man. And uh, in tradition of Mano Chao's like way of sampling and doing stuff, um, yeah. it, there's going to be a lot of samples in this EP, which is I chose four tracks that I really like. And uh, I'm working on it right now. And it's pretty overwhelming because um, 
there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stems you know there's a lot of i mean you're familiar with recording so there's a lot of microphones that recorded the drums yeah so there's a lot of layers of drums and there's a there's two layers of each instrument so it's pretty overwhelming for me to have to like now mix and master all of it on top of that the creative input with the arrangement um so it's taking me a minute i didn't think it was going to take me that long i was ambitious about it but uh but we're going to put it out we're uh, you know i'm already working on on finishing the first single and uh that that's really exciting to me because I love those guys. So I got a little Quita Penas fun fact. I was up on them from the beginning. This is back when, uh, I don't know if, if you know John, he's the accordion yes, player, he plays yes, in Yanga. So John. this is when John was in the group. I used to do a residency with a Gazoo, Gomez Comes Alive, Mondo Fever was called Anda at Mel's Bar back in the day. We had them play a few times. I really wanted to work with them. I wanted to manage them actually. Oh, I, shit, I was no. trying to recruit them and we were talking back and forth. They had somebody else was interested. Anyways, I was like, you know, my philosophy has always been if I want to work with somebody, I just start working. Like, for example, if I really wanted like to try and manage you, I would just start making calls mm -hmm. and try to get you some opportunities and be like, hey, look, I got this opportunity. Are you into it? And then yeah. try to work from there. So I was doing the same thing with them. And one of the first things I did was I booked them their first out of city gig oh. I booked them up north in San Francisco. And they did yeah. a little weekend run, I think like three, two or three shows in San Francisco. Wow. Actually, what year was this? Oh man, let's see. Uh, 2011, I put out that compilation, yeah. uh, 213 Cumbia. Uh, this is probably a little after that, maybe. Okay. Yeah, because oh, like it's been a while, because, man. Because, uh -huh. because 2011, dude, like it, it wasn't it wasn't easy to book Latino shows. Because how old is Quita Penas? I mean, it was it wasn't 2011. I don't think they're that old. 2013, 2012. Okay. Okay. Right around there. Okay. Probably this is probably 2012. Right, nine 20, years old, something like that, maybe. It, it's been a minute. The reason why I brought this up was to see them from then to now, yeah. working with people like you, touring. They they do stuff with with indie labels, and the actual group has morphed and changed uh, the lineup, and their sound has grown. Like, yeah, they're an awesome band, man. I'm yeah, still a yeah. fan to this day. Like, yeah. I love everything about Huge what they fan. do. Yeah. Huge fan. Yeah. Is that is that one thing that you want to do? Have that deep connection with your fans so that. Man, you, you, we can talk about this like ten years later, and you're 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 doing your thing all over the world. I mean, that's a good question. I think my, the, you know, if I can say one thing is that I have a strong conviction to to use music to for for education purposes, and okay. you know, exploring the African diaspora in Latin America, and in Mexico in in, in particular. Um, I think I make music with a purpose, and that's not for people to shake their booty, but it's more like for people to start digging into the history behind music. Right. And I think you know, like I, I feel like I have a responsibility um to use music as a tool to protest and to educate people and i gotcha. think that's that's the reason why i i really got deep into music and you know to touch a little bit about that our next album that we're recording with um Reina Tropicana, we're going to record it in guerrero in the costa chica which is where is the highest they have the highest concentration of afro-mexicans living in mexico yeah. which will our counter for the first time this year in 2020 as being part of the census which is kind of yeah. ridiculous because how is a group of people invisible and don't become visible until yeah. today? Right. They've and always been there. They've always been there. And Mexico, yeah. unfortunately, you know, being Mexican, I, one thing I can say is Mexico is one of the most uh, racist countries in, yeah. in Latin America. Yeah. I hate to say that, but it's facts. No, it's just we true. We can see that. It's true. I, I, we, we've gone to Colombia and Colombia is a whole different case. They're very yeah. inclusive when it comes to skin color. Yeah. Mexico, you, you'll, you'll see it on TV. We grew up watching blonde, light-skinned people. You yeah. don't grow up watching. Although... 
black people existed in Mexico, right. they were absent the whole time. Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous that now we have to start talking about Afro Mexico. We use our platform, Reina Tropical, to talk about Afro Mexico. Yes. And where we're going to record the next album there to prove a point that, well, everybody else is going to other beautiful parts of Mexico, which Costa Chica is beautiful too, but like we're going there with the purpose yeah. and with the reason to prove a point. Well, speaking of um, Afro um, Mexicano, um, in your video, uh, No Me Quieres. Yes. One of the lead um, actresses was, it is um, Afro-Mexicana. Afro-Mexicana. Yeah. Can, can you tell us about how that came together? Yeah, but she's a good friend of Fabi, and uh, uh, Fabi introduced me to her, and and she was like, uh, "Yo, my friend, um, she's Afro-Mexicana, and she's from uh, she's from Costa Chica, and uh, you should meet her because uh, you're from Guerrero, and in Costa Chica is is uh, it it starts in Guerrero and it goes into Oaxaca, and it's basically where the highest concentration of African history in Mexico is." And so we, me and her met, and it turns out that me and her might be cousins because her dad is from a small town where I was born. And she's like, that's a very small town. And we have the same last name. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So um, then we developed a kind of like a, a really nice connection. And then so when we record the album, she's coming with us and we're all just kind of kind of navigate and learn more about Afro Mexico. Because, I mean, I grew up going to Guerrero as a kid, but not uh, in the last seven or eight years now as a grown up making music. And yeah. now I want to dive deep into that. And I think we have there's a responsibility for us to to take on. And that's for us to educate people on on a group of people. How did you end up in Los Angeles? Um, I grew up in Long Beach, so we came as immigrants to the city of Long Beach, and um, and then I got so into music that I started to come to LA a lot. But from Long Beach, I moved to New York, and then I was there for a couple of years, and then I moved to to San Diego for a little bit, and then I worked my way back up to Long Beach, and then finally said like, I really want to you know try to do music, so I I stayed in LA just because LA is the hub for yeah. for music, and uh, that's how that's how I ended up in LA. Yeah. But is your family here as well? Yeah, my family's here. Yeah, for sure. Long Beach, man. There's a big music scene in Long Beach. There was back then, uh, even then, but it was very like sublime, like very like <laughs> yeah, yeah, reggae. Yeah. Really, gri- reggae also, really gri- grimy too. Right. A lot of drugs and the whole scene. Yeah, which I, which I played it. I played in punk ska bands like when yeah. I was in high school. And like that's how I was always influenced by sublime and all these other bands. Yeah, but totally. um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Long Beach is a dope place to be at, but it's obviously not no LA. So, and it's changing too, right? Like, there's like a lot of whole, like the bigger scene happening there, like mm-hmm. different people coming coming in with some money and uh, kind of yep. change, changing up things and everything. And I, I don't for better or for worse. I mean, I don't know. I'm I don't, I'm not that familiar with Long Beach. Yeah. But uh, but I know that there's uh, some stuff happening. I mean, we just had a collaboration with you know Liberation Brewing down there with Dan from Real Big Fish. He was oh uh, dope. Yeah. So he dope. he owns a, a brewery and. Um, we just had that connection, you know, the, the music connection and stuff. And um, we wanted to bring East L.A. to Long Beach and Long Beach to East L.A. And we had a beer, Flor de Muerto from uh, De Little's Muertos, man. It was fun. And we're probably going to do something with them again. But um, in terms of like, dude, you're you're in the scene, you're in the mix and everything. Dude, what what is a style or a, a vibe or a, or, a, or a scene that's coming up that you're excited about? Because you mentioned like every everybody's cumbia, everybody's kind of doing the same shit. But like, is there anything that's kind of like kind of cracking like that, that you kind of see because you seem to be ahead you seem ahead of, ahead of the i mean curve. i think there's a need i think there's a craving yeah. more than you know i think there's a craving for you know to like to be more inclusive to yeah. not so isolate ourselves as latinx to this side of the city and not be so latinx like you know like oh like and i get it like you know the young generation is trying to find themselves and yeah. they're so deep into like 
you know, the Mexican American culture. And I get that, but let's, let's leave a little bit of space to understand other cultures. Yeah. Like, like the Nigerian communities. Yeah. Like let's understand like other communities. Let's bring in like the Ecuadorian community, like the Salvadorian community. Like yeah. let's be more inclusive. How and that's we, a craving that I have. How do we do that? It's, it's kind of tough because, you know, as, as, as Mexicans, like we're very prideful people. Yeah. Like we're very, um, how do you say that word? Patriot, um, patriotic, patriotic. I think, I think, I think we're a little, we're a little xenophobic. I think, I think we're, we're scared of something. We wave different. the flag a lot and it's yeah. about us. And I can, I can say that as a Mexican yeah. growing up in a Mexican household. I mean, in, in LA for sure. We're like, we wave the flag we're deep in LA. Deep. You know? and we, and we like what we like and we don't really stray too much from what we're about. So what I think, think what we can do is put down the flag a little bit. Stop waving the flag. Yeah. Let other people come in and let's like, let's, let's be more about, let's be more inclusive. Yeah. Um, let's, let's have, if you walk into, you know, a certain kind of party, let's see all colors. Like, let's see like people, you know, one, one really dope thing about Portland that I like about Portland is that it's when I, when I've gone to their parties, it's their parties are POC, which is people of color. It's yeah. not a, it's not a, it's not a Mexican party. It's not like a Latinx. Yeah. It's like just people of color, period. Because the groups are there are so small, they're smaller. They all yeah. just unite together because they're people yeah. of color. Whereas LA, we're so huge that people of color just start to go into their own pockets. Yeah. And I think going back to your original question is just there's a craving to be more inclusive in LA. Like whatever you event, your event is, whatever your party is, it would be dope to have people of color, like just all all colors. Yeah. And just be more inclusive you and know, not be in so, so in our own pockets it's so interesting because la has this like when you when you think about la and when people talk about la that are not from here even some people that are from here they always say oh it's this big melting pot you know everybody from around the world comes to la yeah there's almost this perception that we're all mixed up all together no. and yes there's many countries represented here in los angeles but we're all segregated. Like we are, we're all in our own little neighborhoods. Dude, it's, it's a mosaic, dude. It's not a melting pot. It's a mosaic. You know what I mean? And if we can, you know, bring different pieces together, it can, we can create something cool. But I think the challenge is, um, what's going to be that hook? I mean, is it going to be like the type of music you play, the type of art? I think that's, that's key. You think I so? I think that's key because, uh, I like, you know, and I'll use us as an example. Like if you listen to Reina Tropical, it's, it's not your traditional Mexican music it's not cumbia yeah. it's it's something else so i think we're using our platform our music to just kind of join and be more inclusive towards yeah. we want to educate people about other things more than just like you know another latinx you speak about being inclusive and not being super mexican in your music what are your thoughts on language in terms of like being explicitly spanish what are your thoughts on that you yeah know? no that's that's a, also another good point um well, taking it that Latin America is such a huge like it, it's 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 a lot more complex than what people think. Like so, when people say Latinx, it's not just like this; it's huge. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. and so, um, I think the first step is just bringing being more inclusive towards like the own the, the people that you're language based, like the people that you're willing, uh, dealing with. But I think the next step would be to 
make it even more universal, which is, you know, doing what Manu Chao did, which is yeah. like, I'm going to, I don't think he purposely did that, but he sang in English and Portuguese and French, French and he, he united the world. Like you yeah. go anywhere in the world, Manu Chao is that yeah. the Bob Marley from the world. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, uh, Manu Chao is a perfect example of how he unified the world through language. And um, I think that would be the next, next step. One thing that uh, just a little secret from Quitapenas, and I heard, I hope they don't get mad at me for this, but they're, they're working on a song that, I think for the first time has English lyrics. And mm. I thought that was brilliant because I want to hear Quitapenas in English. Yeah, I want people, my friends, to understand what Quitapenas is saying. And that's what we need. We need to use language as a as a tool also. Yeah, look, because one thing that I see about the whole Latinx movement, look, I'm, I'm supportive of it. I'm supportive of people of color, I'm supportive of all these progressive um, um, things that are happening. But the thing is that there's some people that that, think they own Latinx, dude. And I think it's, it becomes a, a, um, kind of an exclusive club where people have to prove that they're Latinx, you know what I mean? And I think that the general market is coming in and really trying to capitalize on that because they're like, oh shit, there's something hot and something that, that's, that's being used. Kind of like the word chingona. It's being appropriated, you know what I mean? Yeah. So how can you keep something like the spirit of Latinx from being too exclusive and like, be, or, or being on the other end of the spectrum, being appropriated. Yeah. I mean, uh, people might hate me for this, but before Latinx, I'm a person of color. Yeah. Because Latinx is so huge. In Latinx, there's blonde people, there's light-skinned people that will never go through what I've gone through because of yeah. my skin color. So yeah. you can you can go to anywhere in Latin America. You have a dark-skinned person, and then you have a, a, a European-looking-like person. Yeah. You have a black person. The, the European looking like person will never experience what the black, black person has experienced. Right. So it is a thing of color. So before anything, I'm a person of color. Yeah. And then, you know, we go through everything else. Then you're Latino, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a tough subject, but needs to be talked about without people getting offended, without people getting mad. I think the people first are scared to is, talk about it. I think first step is dialogue. I had somebody call me out on Twitter recently. Okay. Cause, uh, I was talking about the term Latinx. I had read this article about a vendor who makes these gummy bears that are like doused in Chile. And the article said that they called them Latinx chili gummy bears. And I was like, Latinx gummy bears? And so half jokingly, I was on Twitter. I was like, I thought gummy bears were non-binary. <laughs> Why are they Latinx? And But then the deeper point was, the way I saw it was they were using the term Latinx to market this product. And so my question was, where do we draw the line? And so somebody called me out and they were like, oh, so you think we're all um, Latino? And so it was somebody that was pro-Latinx for the term at least, right? And I was like, well, I wasn't making that argument yeah. whether to right. be Latino or Latinx. I was making, I was asking the question, where do we draw the line with using these terms to market products, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm not of the Latinx generation. That's a newer term. I would probably first identify as Chicano, but I'm okay with Latino as kind of like a generalization. And obviously yeah. I know we're not all one thing. Yeah. And a lot of these terms are used to just generalize everybody who's brown and speaks Spanish, right? But I think that Latinx is a little polarizing because almost it almost lends itself to how down are you? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you go to Boyle Heights, it, it, it means something else. It's like, you know, you're, you're lefty, you're probably, you know, uh, non-binary, non, non, uh, uh, lesbian. I don't know. It's, it's just, it just fits a lot of different categories and yeah. stuff. And, and if you don't fit within a certain 
number of those categories, you're not down enough. You're not land next enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. It goes, it, it's, it gets really complex when right. Hispanic, Latino, which, which I do not Chicano, like at all. <laughs> it, it, so, so it gets really complex. Yeah. But, you know, for me personally, like I had said before, Latino, it's, it's a white range. Latinos is like a white, like a big range of group of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but perfect example, a black Latino and a, and a European looking like Latino will they won't experience the same things. Right. It's true. Um, you just, they just won't. It's, it's so it's, it's a thing of skin color. Unfortunately, we got to yeah. confront that issue. And Mexico has a long way to go. I mean, that's worldwide yeah. too. That's it's worldwide, worldwide. but yeah. Mexico, man, like, damn, I, I hate to, you know, say that over and over again, but yeah. like, we have a long way to go and it's I mean, our you, responsibility you, to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously we, we've seen it, for a really long time here in America, right? The race issue and, and yeah. how African African people were brought and treated in slavery and all that. That has always been my only reference, you know? And then yeah. in 2001, I had the opportunity to go to Cuba. And in Cuba, I saw it there, which, what you're talking about in Mexico, like in Mexico, there was a clear class divide and race divide between white Cubans and black yeah. Cubans. The black Cubans are seen as like second class to the white Cubans. And it just blew my mind because up until that point, I had this fantasy of, of Cuba being this amazing, it is an amazing place, you know, but I've always approached it through music and the study of music. And I'm familiar with all these amazing Afro-Cuban musicians who, who I look at like as musical gods, you know, but you go to Cuba and it's not really the case. Keep in mind that they're all Latinos. Yes. But within, within right. that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. what you just described... They're all Latinos, but it's more complex than that. Yeah. Like people need yeah. to know that how yeah. deep rooted that is. And I think the one thing that people don't really talk about too much, dude, is it's a class thing too. Um, where is yeah, race is one thing, but dude, class is another thing. Because people get all, all up in arms and stuff, and then they oh, Trump is racist and everything. Trump is not really racist, dude. He's fucking classist, dude. You know, he he doesn't like broke people. If you're if you're rich and fucking Latino, he's all down with you. If you're Carlos Slim, he's down with you. You know what I mean? If you're like uh, 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 Carlos Slim, is that the richest dude in Mexico? Is that the guy? Mexico? Yeah, he's like number three That's or number four guy? In, the, in the U.S. Like yeah, whatever. Dude, like uh, Donald Trump, he, he likes he likes uh, 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 rich rich people of color. You know I will I, mean? I will I will say this though. I will say that um, I have no problem with calling Donald Trump a racist. Yeah, no problem with. I agree it. with I, you. I, I I'll call Donald Trump a racist in his face. Period. Yeah. Um, because there's a certain way that you have to treat all groups of people period of course, of course. so uh you could be but, a, but, a classist and a racist right he, and he is a classist and a racist <laughs> right by no, the no, way that's what i'm saying where, where there's there's an added layer to it let's know? not give donald trump any time <laughs> that's right that's all. right he deserves no time no no um, no i agree but but i th but i think that um there needs to be more of an understanding that there's different kinds of mexicanos there are different types of latinos and everything that don't necessarily fit that mold but I think that we should look out for each other and look out for our best interests, and uh, especially when they're not being looked upon by the people who yeah, are leading us. I think we have a responsibility, and you know, going back to the same thing, I, 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 for me, it's people of color. Period. Yeah. You know, like I think there is a big responsibility. It's not even about waving the flag about you're Mexican, you're whatever you are. No, we're all in the same game. If you're of color, you're of color. Period. You, you know, we're in the same game. Yeah. Like, hands down. Um, so let's put down the flags for a minute and let's just understand that if you're of color, yeah, we're all in the same game. Do you got to kind of, kind of see yourself with a mission for the band? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, our mission, um, has been since, since, uh, for the last couple of months has been, uh, yeah. 
raising more awareness about the Afro uh, Afro Mexicano community, gotcha, and also uh, in the queer community. We're trying to just raise awareness and use our music as a platform to educate people yeah. about, you know, how important it is to to acknowledge these communities. Gotcha. You know, and I mean, we can we can go in deep and get into a long conversation of many things, but it's it's you know, music as a tool to to be able to just raise awareness, man. I think it's yeah. very important. Um, like what we're doing right now, it's something that people need to do. They need to talk about it without getting mad. But dude, it's uncomfortable, man. How do you suggest like, you know, having those kind of conversations? Because dude, I've seen people just get up and leave. I've gotten pissed. into conversations with people who get really mad. Yeah. Uh, one example, man, like not too long ago, somebody got really mad. Because I said what I just told you guys. Yeah. How about we're um, all in the same gang. About we're all in the same gang. About how I, somebody got really mad that I said that Mexico is one of the most racist countries uh, in South America. Yeah. Or Latin. I'm sorry. I'll take that back. It's one of the most racist country in Latin America. And um, they were like, I can't believe you're saying that about your own country. Like, I, you know, you're supposed to, you know, represent, you know, your country and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I have to be okay with it. Yeah. Um, and hey, it's the truth hurts. It's facts. It's facts. If yeah. you don't count a group of people until this year, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous to me that that country that you're so patriotic about and you're so prideful about and waving the flag about did not count a group of people. How racist is that? Yeah. How racist is that? So then that person was like, ah, I just feel like you're anti-Mexican. I was like, no, I think you're being anti-Mexican by not including a group of people. Yeah. Anyways, that person was like, oh, I got to go. You know, I got to wake up early tomorrow morning. Bro. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can, yeah, I can, right, I can right, do this right. all night, bro. Yeah, yeah, I can do this nerd. all night. Yeah, um, so that's that's how we, you know, it's just talk about it without getting mad. No feelings, no nothing. Just talk about it and and try to problem solve. Yeah. Because that's the only, that's the only way um, we can, we can you know, improve the situation. Yeah. How can, um, like, art and music really like cross boundaries especially when there's like for example like afrobeat and there's like there's other other styles of music that is not necessarily in the language that you understand is it is it a feeling is it a vibe is it like a like the sentiment that comes with like a, a person singing a song that maybe you don't understand the lyrics but you get that feeling like how exactly can we cut through these barriers that are put on by language i think that struggle doesn't have a language you know it's very visible I think if you see kids suffering in any country, I don't think we need to speak the same language. We're yeah. all from the same gang. Yeah. You know, I just recently saw like the kids in like the Syrian, like the little kids in Syria right now, like who are being like displaced from their homes and yeah. there's bombs dropping. Like you, it's, it's, it's pretty hurtful. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have to speak my language. I don't have to speak their language. Yeah. But to see any kid being displaced from their home, it's, it's, it's really messed up. We need to check ourselves as, as, as humans. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. So if we put down our flags for a minute and acknowledge that there's people worldwide, yeah. you know, suffering, I think that's the first step. And then we can use our platform, our arts, to, you know, help aid that. How do you, like, keep your conviction about the things that you think about, especially when you're, when you're a public person and you're an artist? Because I think that artists have no rules. You know what I mean? Artists are, can, can kind of do and come and go as they please. 
and deal with the consequences after because I think that the artists and musicians and creators are the ones who push the, the culture forward even when it's uncomfortable yeah or when it's tough I can only speak for myself but uh, I don't know I don't I don't know if you guys have ever heard a sumo hair DJ set but a sumo hair DJ set will go all around the world just exploring the African diaspora yeah and I make people uncomfortable and sometimes I clear the dance floor I don't care <laughs> I really don't care. I'm not there to please teaching, people. Teaching. I'm, the, I'm there to teach people. And yeah. um, if I ever get booked to DJ for a gig that you guys want, me to, I'm there to do that. I'm not there to please people and make them yeah. shake their booty. So I do DJ a lot. But when people book me, they already know, like, I'm going to play whatever the hell I want to play. That's yeah. going to make people, like, think about what they're listening to. I'm not yeah. there to play J Balvin or, like, no disrespect, or, like, to yeah. play, like, Bat Bunny. I love Bat Bunny, but I'm not there to play that. I'm yeah. not there to play reggaeton in Cumbia. I'm there to, like, play music from Angola, from Colombia, from yeah. Mexico, from, like, anywhere, like, where I can just raise awareness about, like, just music and culture. Yeah. And that's my that's where my conviction lies. Um, we just threw a party. I, I teamed up with this really dope producer called Captain Planet, we threw a party out in in uh, in Venice because that was the only venue that we were able to get. Mm -hmm. But like, we really only played music that that comes deep to our hearts, which is yeah. music that can raise awareness and educate people. We played no reggaeton, no cumbia, no hip hop, no none of that stuff. But it, it's a strong conviction to play music for 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 people to just like think about what they're listening to and be yeah. like, oh shit, like where's this music from? Like I've never heard this kind of stuff. Yeah. It sounds weird, but I like it. Um, I get wary when people book me to DJ in, at parties in East LA because East LA is a tough crowd. Yeah, because they're they gonna are. be like, play some cumbia. Yeah, so they they book me. <laughs> uh, Selena Joy. Right, like, so you're, you're there to please them. Right, so Buyapongo booked me to do a DJ set for them. The first thing I asked is like, are you guys sure you guys want me to like DJ for? They're, they're down with all that. I know, stuff, I know. Man. So then I was like, because I'm gonna like play some really weird like they're shit. Like, play from, the yeah. yeah, and they were like, nah, we're that's what we were booking you, and I was like, just I all right, cool. Like so, I was in East LA at the Paramount playing all this stuff and yeah people were vibing but only i can only get away with because Buyapongo is booking me yeah, yeah. and i've dj at other parties in east l.a but like i am wary about it because east yeah. l.a is so set on like play east l.a stuff like mexican like yeah. you know like you know I, selena bro yeah i know Sonora dinamita, you're good i fucking hate it <laughs> i hate it yeah. and i and it's not that I, I i like i hate the music but i hate the fact that i'm being asked to play something that you're complacent with yeah 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 like ask me to play something that yeah, you don't know it's like the same old shit yeah ask me to play something like that you don't know that can trigger you to maybe go back and dig and say like oh fuck this is fucking crazy yeah. so i'm like i look like i like ass i'm killer because um that guy just is all over the fucking map he'll yeah. play like he'll go from classical to drum and bass to hip-hop like like do something to like yeah. to make me like want to hear like more of what you're playing here's a question for you you mentioned gas lamp yeah do you see or do you feel somebody like the gas lamp killer because of who he is his skin tone the circles he's connected to and maybe you've experienced this or not but do you feel like somebody like that can get away with doing what he does Whereas you do the same thing, but you're not the gas lamp killer in terms of you're this Mexican dude who in your own words dresses like a homeless guy. No offense. Yeah. I'm just trying to make a point here. And you get booked to do parties. And sometimes, like you just said, they expect you to do like an all cumbia set or whatever. Right. Yeah. Do you see any, you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, like, no, I know exactly what you're saying. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that uh, people can also... 
accused Gaslam Killer of appropriating music. And, in, and I'm sure they have. And I'm sure they have. Um, I think that if anything, he has it harder than I do. You think so? Because to me, it's not about money. Yeah. It's not about getting booked for these fucking high-end gigs. It's not about that. Yeah. It's my conviction to play what I want to play. For him, it's a little bit harder because if he gets all the money that he wants and all the gigs that he wants, I think that people will call him out based on skin tone. Yeah. And be like, but you're white. Why are you using our music to play that? Whereas, Interesting. Interesting. whereas my skin color is darker than his. You get a pass. And I'll be like, yeah, but he's dark skin. Like he's, he's playing like the music that he can relate to. Um, yeah. I should never get a pass for anything. Yeah. But I do go through that discrimination. I've been, I've gone through that discrimination in my own country in Mexico. I've yeah. been discriminated against, which hurts more than being discriminated in the U.S., by the way. Interesting. Which people might think like, oh, but the U.S. is, U.S. this, like, like U.S. is so racist and blah, blah. Yo, fuck around and get, like, discriminated in your own country. That's fucked up. I mean, when I was growing up, people would call me, like, a fucking illegal and all this, whatever. But going back to my own country and then, like, people calling me all these names, that's even more messed up. Yeah. So. It hurts. It hurts. So, I, I mean, I, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you have to go through. But, like, it's not about the money. It's not about getting the opportunities and the gigs. It's more about what I need to do. Yeah. You know, it, it's a responsibility. And actually, that fueled everything that I'm doing today. It's all these racist things that I heard growing up as a kid, like being dark skinned and looking a certain way. Like people would like say all these things about me. And now I'm like, fuck you. Like watch, you're going to come to my show in a couple years or yeah. whatever. You're going to be, your girl is going to want to come see, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so I think, you know, somebody, and I have a lot of homies who are non Latinos who are like Anglo and are playing the kind of music that I like and that I make. And, should people feel a certain kind of way? I don't know, because I know people that are Latinos who have no interest whatsoever yeah. Yeah. in digging deep into the roots. Yeah. But I have some friends that are not who will dig more into the roots than they will. What do you think that is? Like, well, what do you think? Why do you think that? I'll is? give you a good example. Like, I have a lot of um, African-American friends who don't know much about this, the music that I listen to, like yeah. Kuduro and Champeta and Souk. They're like, no, we don't know anything about that, you know? Yeah. Um, but just because they're black doesn't mean they need to know about it or right. they need to have interest in it. I do. Um, and, I, and I think if you reverse that, just because they're white doesn't mean that they can't have interest in it. They can't. And they can be passionate about it, too. Yeah. You know? Somebody said, well, you know, if they're white, like, like, you shouldn't give them a pass. And I said, well, if they're brown, you shouldn't give them a pass either. Yeah. Because just because they're brown doesn't mean that they're down for the brown. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of coconuts. We all know, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, there's but, a lot. Of, you can't, you, people say like, because they're brown. No, because they're brown, the, the, don't don't give them that pass. Because yeah. just because you're brown doesn't mean that you're about it. And people are going to hate me for that too. I always get into these these conversations where people are like, ah, oh, and, and like the people get all pissed off. But that's the truth. I think the question that should be asked is, are you doing something because it's a novelty? Or do you are you really deeply passionate about it? You know, yeah. like... You know, am I being inclusive because I feel like I'm going to get more followers or more likes or yeah. do I really, really like it? Right. So I can be this Mexican guy that's in love with Chinese food. Yeah. Am I writing about Chinese food because I want Chinese followers? Am yeah. I writing about Chinese food because I deeply love Chinese food? Yeah. And you have to be really careful about that because going back to the whole thing, the whole world music thing is like, are these people like really in love with this music or are they, or are they putting it out because yeah. it, they need to fill in a slot? 
And I've been very worried about that because there's been times where I've turned down DJ gigs. We've turned down gigs and I've turned down like DJ gigs and producer gigs because I feel like they're just trying to fill in the slot. And yeah. it's not about the money. I used to uh, represent Volumencero. I don't know if you know those mm-hmm. guys. Well, I, Man, I, I, I was I was I was like a thirteen year old kid listening to like East LA Sabor, uh Factory. Oh, you know yeah. what's up? Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. yeah. It's my yeah. new favorite DJ right here. Yeah, dude, yeah. I'm telling you, that's what we got him on here, dude. Because yeah. you know, this is just one I, of those I know Volumencero. Yeah, I know Pastilla and all those. Yeah, bands, yeah. And so, so I was I worked on them, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was able to get him on uh, KCRW. You know, uh, what is the top tune of the day or whatever? Today's top tune. Okay. Uh, for this one called this one song called Chinese Connection, it was like Chinese with Latino stuff. It's like a great track, and it got on, and all of a sudden it was kind of like a breakthrough kind of thing, where it was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? It, it brought in some kind of validation, and for me it was like, yeah, I get it. It's cool to like get that kind of acknowledgement, but I'm like, are we putting too much on that? Like to be accepted? And not that these guys wanted to be accepted. It was just kind of a cool tap, like, yo, dude, your shit is like is worthy of being on this quote-unquote, like, uh, influential, tastemaker kind of thing where we can really get you to a wider audience. So it was just an accomplishment in that sense that they acknowledge something like that. But do you find that with a band... Because I see all all the angles for Reina Tropical, dude, they are right for KCRW, man. Like, for, for all these different people that um, appreciate, again, this quote-unquote world-class music thing. So are you afraid that you're going to get put into that category? Well, we, we already get played... Um, in KCRW, I figured that. Yeah, we yes. get we get played in KCRW. Um, they can put us wherever wherever they want to put us in, but we're always going to stand for what we stand for. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, they they you can put us wherever you want, but we're we're always going to speak our mind and say, and we're gonna, we're going to probably piss off people. And I'm really good at pissing off people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very good at cleaning the dance floor, like like just like clearing the dance floor. I don't mind because yeah. we did this music. Because we had a strong conviction. Yeah. It was never about money. It was never about like, which is, I, I think, you know, a lot of the new generation, they, they, they're after like stardom and popularity yeah. and follows. Oh, and this sure. is like, no, we're, we're coming with a strong conviction. I don't have that many followers. And I have people that just have a bunch of followers and I look at their, and, and what do they stand for? I don't know. They just stand for just making people dance and that's cool. But like, yeah. I want to prove a point. And, uh, I, you know, and I hate to get all deep and philosophical, but like I do, th- I do live like if today was my last day. Yeah. And if, when you start thinking like that, you live for a cause Interesting. And, and that cause is like, make a point. What's your purpose? Yeah. What's, what's Stand, your point? stand for something. Stand for something. And my, and, and what I'm standing for is making music that's going to make people aware and think about, you know, what we really stand for. And yeah. we need to represent and we need to be inclusive about everything. Wow, that is deep. That is, that is philosophical. But you know what? I think it's that about you is going to make people want to be a fan of your music and a fan of what you do. Because at least for me, when I come across artists and there's more depth to them, like like they, they do have a message. It doesn't have to be this political message or social political and whatnot, but they are about something. They're not just about the fame. They're not just yeah. about the money, just about marketing, you know, because you can see right through that and it's very shallow. And yeah. especially like if the music isn't interesting, right. it's boring. It sucks. And I had this conversation with a friend recently and he was like, uh, he was trying to give me advice on how to DJ, right? Because, uh, <laughs> right. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And he's not a DJ. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So we, we went to hang out and it was like this. this you got to read the crowd, well, bro. I know. He, uh, yeah, that's exactly what he told me. So we were at a, hanging out at a bar and this DJ was killing and there was all these girls dancing and he was like, yo, man, like, 
He's like, I'm not trying to like give you advice or anything, but like, but I am, but I am. <laughs> but when you DJ, he's like, play what people want to hear. Like that's the first hook. They play like work them up, like warm them up, and play whatever they want to hear, and then you can play whatever you want to play. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not here for that. I'll play whatever I want to play whenever I want to play it because yeah. I feel like my that's not. I'm not here to warm up anybody. I'm here to let you know. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, people want to pay a lot of money for people to play music for the people. And I said, I don't care if I live under a bridge. Yeah. I want to be happy. If if, if I can live over under, under a bridge and be happy and prove my point, I'll do that. I never did this for money. I won't do anything for money. Like, I'll, I'm okay living under the bridge. Yeah. What's so hard about that? You yeah. fucking eat food. You go to the river. Like, hey, what makes you, if you're happy, you're happy. Yeah, man. Like, it's not about, like. You know, so then he just like after telling me, he was like, oh, he was all quiet. Then he came over with me. Um, I, I, I DJed at the do over yeah. big L.A. staple party. Like everybody yeah. knows the do over. Shout out to Jamie Strong. Yeah. To, over. to Azul 203. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> literally the week after that, I told him, like, no, nah, man, fuck that. I'd rather live under a bridge. And like, like, I don't care. I don't make music for the masses. I'll play whatever the hell I want. Literally the next week I got booked to do like the do over a New Year's Eve party. Massive. Dude, if you just do your own thing and you stick to your convictions, dude, these are the people that have staying power. Right. You know what I mean? Like all the other, like all these bands that, that I know that are still around, dude, that still have a following is that they never really compromised. And then, I mean, there's talk now with Rage Against the Machine. They're like, oh yeah, well, they're at Coachella and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I like that point because I've been a long time big Rage fan yeah. and people are up in arms, right? They're playing Coachella. I heard they're getting a million each per show. It's like, Rage Against Machine has been signed to Sony since day one. Major, isn't, isn't Zach from Anaheim? <laughs> no, he, I think his family's from Lincoln Heights. I think he's from but, Lincoln Heights. Yeah, I think his mom, uh, yeah. Irvine or something. But the point is, like, they were always a part of the system. Yeah. They, they have this super political message, yes, but they were always, like, they were never an indie band. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they were never... They were a major, yeah. They were never playing for a, a door split at the local bar. They were always major. They were always a part of the system. Yeah. It's almost like you can't make that argument. Every album they've they've put out is multi-platinum. They've been multi-millionaires. Like, yeah. There's so many people that are upset that they're playing Coachella. It's like, yeah. And how many times have you seen Zach Rowling in a Royce Royce? Yeah. I saw him in a Beamer in Silver Lake one time. Oh, well, damn, I didn't know that. That's a fun I, fact. I, I, yeah. That's a fun uh, fact. I, I think it was dating a white chick. I saw him with a white chick back That's in That's a fun Hollywood. fact. I didn't know <laughs> but that. But I have also... <laughs> That's a fun I have fact. also seen and, and been next to Zach while he was playing a... He was playing Son Arocho music yeah. in a cafe in El Sereno. Yeah. In the hood with the homies. So, you know... Well, people put too much on shit, man. You know what? Just do maybe that was the do, guilt. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the music. You I know mean, they I mean? blew up. They blew up. Like, but you can't hate people on that, man. You know, there's yeah. a, there's a there's a really good MIA documentary mm-hmm. where people just started hating on her I because know. she bought a house in Brentwood, like basically Beverly Hills. Yeah. And then just people just started like fucking hating on her mad because she bought a house there. And she married. They should um, hate. And she married a white dude. Big like a, a record right. record owner guy, his right. son. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and it's it's crazy to me like how all of a sudden the people that you look up to, yeah. when they make it, you hate them a lot because all of our lives sometimes, and I'm not talking about myself because I told you I, I'm cool with living under a bridge. Yeah. But a lot of people just strive to at one day be able to live that life yeah yeah yeah. and when they make it you hate them yeah and you know and sometimes like that's just a byproduct of all the work they've done you know if you get into the music business you're in a business 
and whoever you're in business with, whether it be a label or production company, they're trying to make money. And you may get into a deal and you blow up. Yeah. And you generate all this money and now you you have means and you have wealth or and, and you have to use it at yeah, one point. Like, they, you know, I you know Rene from Calle 13, yeah. oh man, he put out that track where he's yeah. like talking about the music industry mm-hmm. and just people just there's so much criticism towards Rene from Calle 13 yeah. because of that song that he just put out. Because of that. Because he's gotten so many Grammys, he's had so much money, but then people hate him so much now because of what he's saying. He's talking about a struggle, but he's not really struggling. Yeah. And it's like... Is he supposed to stay quiet just because he's reached a certain level? Just of- because he has money, can he not talk about how much he struggled? Like, yeah. And and like, we're, we don't own the artists. Like, yeah. stop... Stop acting like you own the artist. A you lot don't of people do. A lot of people do. Nobody man. owns the artist. Let yes. them be them. And then if they're going to be about the struggle and then one day they make a lot of money and they still talk about the struggle, but like, yo, you don't own him. Like, yeah. step so I, this is, this is good. Cause I wanted to ask you, you know, cause at first it sounded like you guys were all like you and Fabi anti manager and all mm-hmm. it kind of, kind of came off like that at the beginning, but, it, but it's not that my question now is, if somebody approached you, say they wanted to sign you, they wanted to give you a deal, mm-hmm. how would you feel about that? They have approached us, and we've turned down a lot of money, actually. Um, we've turned down two record labels mm-hmm. and one other big deal. Uh, we turned it down because we're not about that. Yeah. We're not about money, you know? Like, um, Luckily, it came to us later in our lives where, like, Fabi's a little bit more stable. Yeah. She, You know, she has income coming in. Mm-hmm. She's not a starving. Like, she's good. Basically, she had, you know, and yeah. then um, I'm OK. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying like I have a lot of money, but like I have enough to eat and pay rent, whatever. Yeah. So, no, we don't need we're not going to like do something because of money. So yeah. um, we've turned down um, three really good, two really good labels and one really good deal, uh, mainly because these labels and this deal wanted us to put out music on their terms and they wanted to have ownership. We don't do that. We do whatever we want to do whenever we want. God, you know what? I wish we had like another two hours, man, to talk to you, man. We have like, what, one minute? Where can we find you, dude? So, um, Sumo Hair on Instagram, uh, on Instagram and Instagram. That's where I'm the most active on. And I just wanted to shout out. There is a really dope collaboration that I have with this girl from New York called Niña Chispa. Mm -hmm. And we just put out a track called Palo de Mango. It's on Spotify. And I'm working on another track with her. Super dope girl. Uh, love that girl. She's really dope. And Quita Penas is coming up. That new EP is coming up with them. And uh, Reina Tropical, Europe, and Colombia. Any vinyl? Quita Penas vinyl? A collab? Uh, they will decide that, but it looks pretty optimistic of far as that goes. Nice. Sumo, dude, thank you so much for coming, dude. We really appreciate your time. We love your band, dude. Congratulations, dude. Continue success. Thank you guys for having me. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Radio Mundial. Radio Mundial. Radio Mundial. Radio Mundial. Radio Mundial.